Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode of Fly on the Wall. My name is Christian. My name is Aaron Bennett. My name is Justin. And we're excited to have you in for what will be probably one of the coolest, most insidery uh, episodes that we have here at Fly on the Wall. We will be joined by Daniel Littman, a co-author of Politico's Playbook, which if you don't know what Playbook is, it is the go-to news source for people in the Beltway, anyone who's interested in politics, anyone who practices politics regularly, or just a bunch of college students who geek out about political things. Uh, We were super excited to have him talk about what Playbook means for the Washington news community, as well as, uh, you know, the functions it serves um, in keeping its uh, readers informed and engaged in politics. Yeah, so Daniel's going to sit down with us and take us inside the room of how he makes Playbook and really what Playbook serves to the wider audience. Uh, And it's a really cool episode, so definitely stick around. Um, But first, definitely follow us on all social media channels at FlyOnTheWallPod. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. Uh, We're everywhere and we're posting things all the time. And sometimes they're actually funny. uh, So you're going to want to check it out. (laughs) Just occasionally. All right, let's get started. So we're going to start with one of our favorite segments, our tweet of the week. Um, This week's tweet comes from Senator Cory Booker on his personal account, at Cory Booker. Um, And this is actually a quote tweet. So he says, clearly careful tweeting is not a prerequisite for the White House after getting called out for making a typo in one of his tweets. Uh, First of all, props to Senator Booker for clearly running his own Twitter um, if he's making these sorts of typos. Um, and yeah, throwing a little jest in there at, uh, at president Trump as well. So now we're going to move into our gear grinding topic. Uh, so what really grinds our gears? We're going to talk about getting our news from social media. Uh, so Justin, you want to kick us off? Yeah. So what grinds my gears about getting news from social media is, uh, actually something that Daniel's going to talk to us a bit about, uh, and that's verifying sources. So it's really hard as I'm scrolling through my feed, you know, like I try and follow reliable people, people I trust, things like that. Um, but it's always hard when something pops up in my feed and it's not always linked to an article. It's just sort of like either a hot take or like a bit of news, like a, a breaking type thing. And I can't tell if it's actually real. And that's really frustrating because I am someone, you know, as a millennial, as someone who like doesn't necessarily have the time to read all these really long articles, um, I get a lot of my news from Twitter. So it's not always easy to verify the source of that. Yeah, so jumping off of that, uh, I think my biggest problem with uh, getting my news on social media is it seems like there's a kind of groupthink with political reporters that are on Twitter. Um, And I'm talking about Twitter specifically because I spend my entire day on Twitter. Um, And I think there's a kind of groupthink. And I mean that in the sense that when you have like, I follow, you know, hundreds of reporters on Twitter. um, And I hope that would give me a diversity of um, news stories. And it seems like at the end of the day, 98, 99% of these political reporters are talking about the same thing. And I think that's because a lot of them follow each other and a lot of them are therefore seeing what other political reporters are putting out there and feel like they need to comment or write a story on that. So I feel like, uh, like you know, in theory, that political reporter Twitter should be pretty diverse because it is kind of a capitalist economy um, in a sense. Um, and there are a bunch of different people out there. Um, But in reality, it feels like they're all kind of just talking about the same thing or the same two stories of the day. Um, And that's frustrating when I think that political reporter Twitter should actually be, you know, a diverse set of ideas and also stories, because I want to see more than one story um, perforate throughout the day, not 50 different people's ideas on one story. Yeah, I think that's a really smart point. And just to sort of tangentially bounce off of that, I think one of the things that grinds my gears with uh, Twitter specifically, but I think this is more of a, a commentary 
uh, in general uh, is that, and I was actually having this conversation with um, legendary reporter Mike Allen. He came to Georgetown uh, earlier this week, and we had a conversation about um, just the news and the state of news uh, of uh, information dissemination nowadays. And because there's so many ways to get information, you know, you can live stream it on Facebook, or you can uh, you know watch some Snapchats, or you can follow uh, the news on Twitter. Uh, news by itself doesn't offer a whole lot of value. So what reporters are doing, and people on Twitter and pundits and everyone uh, who are engaging these conversations now feel like they need to provide their spin or their hot take. Uh, and it's always this game of one-upping everyone else on Twitter and providing uh, you know the most outrageous prediction or you know the the out, most outlandish statement um, in connection to a bit of news that I feel like really detracts from uh, you know the story and, and what's really going on and for clarity of thinking and I think uh, you know when we live in an age where there's just the sheer volume of news that's coming at us uh, from a bunch of different sources uh, that it can be kind of hard to, to distill um, the truth and distill your own thoughts and opinions um, from the the uh, new source that is that is Twitter. So I think that segues well into what we're going to talk to Daniel a little bit about today, um, because Daniel is, you know, a very well-versed reporter um, who writes for Politico's playbook. And a lot of his job is to decide what is newsworthy and what is not newsworthy. I um, mean, he has a very specific audience. And while um, while he basically works for, you know, inside the Beltway, you know, people read Politico around the nation and people read it from very important uh, sectors of DC politics and of course the world. Um, and so I think it's a really, um, a really important conversation to have over like, what is newsworthy? Who decides what is newsworthy? Um, and so that's why I'm excited to have Daniel Lippman on the podcast this week to talk to us about how he works playbook and what he's working playbook for. Before we jump in with Daniel, can we just all take a brief second and talk about how we first fell in love with playbook? As everyone uh, may know by now, all of us are loyal playbook readers. And I just want to share my own personal, you know, the yeah. first time, our first impression. So for me, it was at the Republican National Convention that I was able to go to with Jew Politics. Shout out uh, Hannah, Sophie, Mo, everyone who made that trip possible. It was a lot of fun. Um, but I actually got the opportunity to staff some political events. Uh, and there, um, I was just sort of introduced to Playbook. And right, this is right when uh, Jake and Anna and, and Daniel were sort of taking it up after Mike Allen uh, had, had let them uh, carry on his legacy uh, with Playbook. And, you know, I just remember... Uh, reading it and just getting such an overwhelming sense of um, a importance because you know that the most important people in the country are reading this newsletter, but b also just uh, finally feeling informed, finally feeling in the know because I'd previously found it hard to you know run through all of the Washington Post, New York Times, uh, AP, uh, Chicago Tribune, like all these big publications read through all their big stories. Uh, so I found it fantastic just to have it all in one place for the first time. And that's how I fell in love with Playbook. Yeah, uh, I think my story is kind of similar, actually. So I was never really interested in politics uh, in high school. It was really a, a Georgetown thing that did it for me and coming to this great city, of course, and especially in the midst of the 2016 election. Um, so I remember, I think I subscribed probably around the same time last summer, last fall uh, in 2016 as the election things were heating up. And I had just finished uh, reading... Mark Leibovich is this town for one of my classes, and that really got me uh, kind of an inside look into the uh, the Washington world. And when I first started reading Playbook, I realized this was that daily inside look into what the important people are doing, what the important news stories are, what everyone's talking about, what drives this town, um, not in a, a petty or kind of entertainment way, but really on a policy basis, because there is so much important things that's going on around DC. And it's 
really fascinating for a student like me to have that sort of insight through something like Playbook. Christian? Yeah, so I actually started reading Playbook in high school. Oh, you're so cool. You beat us there. <laughs> okay, is it your story? No, go for it, dude. <laughs> okay, sorry. Thanks. Uh, so, I, yeah, I actually started reading Playbook in high school because uh, I got interested in politics after taking an AP U.S. history class in high school. Uh, shout out Mr. Globley if you're listening. Um, he follows the pod, right? Uh, he does, and also uh, Mr. Montooth, my uh, government teacher Montooth. from high school. He's the one I've seen on Twitter. Yeah, shout out Mr. Montooth. Um, <laughs> so uh, after this being a shout out to my high school teachers, um, they both got me really interested in politics in high school. And so I started subscribing to Playbook. Um, as a way to just, you know, learn about what people in D.C. are talking about. So I'm from, like, very liberal Southern California. Um, and uh, people all kind of talk about the same thing out there, but I was very interested specifically in, uh, you know, what people are talking about at the hub of D.C. politics. And it was just such an insight into a different world. And this was before I even knew I was coming to Georgetown. Uh, and so it was, like, a very fascinating thing when I actually got into Georgetown to be like, well, I'm going to that place where people write playbook, um, which was really cool. Yeah, and I think Daniel had a similar experience of just, you know, getting enthralled in this world of uh, politics and everything that is great about um, our home here in D.C. Daniel Lippman, welcome to the podcast. We are really excited to have you on. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be on. Uh, so before we start, I just want to sort of make a point. Uh, we are recording this. I'm looking at my phone. It's 8.30 a.m. And I think this is the earliest any of us have gotten up this semester. Uh, but for you, this is like sort of, we were making the point, the middle of your work day. Yeah, I should be having lunch right now. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Yeah, so I, I, I feel like we're getting a very realistic experience being semi-tired and up and awake with you recording this uh, first thing in the morning. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, this is kind of, for me, the afternoon. So I've been up since 3.30 uh, writing playbook with uh, my colleagues, Jake Sherman and Anna Palmer. I uh, was out late last night at a fun uh, Breitbart party with uh, Laura Ingram's book right. uh, with Steve Bannon and Stephen Miller. And we did so, see that in Playbook this morning. So, uh, so that then I had to write it up and, you know, what they said and uh, kind of who was there and pick the best pictures and upload audio. And so just to put in Playbook and give our readers a sense of what happened last night at this gathering of the conservative media and uh the people they also invited, including lots of mainstream reporters, since they kind of like mainstream media attention, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> yeah. So listeners, if you're listening and it's like any time past 9 a.m., stop. Come back to this at like 8 a.m. <laughs> Great. So Or, or listen at uh, 4 a.m. when I'm waking up. <laughs> listen along, along with uh, with Daniel there. I was I was going to be reasonable, but okay. <laughs> if you're an insomniac, I'm not an, I just don't sleep that much. I'm not an insomniac. I will like... Uh, fall asleep at the drop of a hat. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, so let's step back a little bit um, and how, talk to us a little bit about how you actually got your start in journalism. So I grew up in the Berkshires in Western Massachusetts, uh, went to Hotchkiss, a boarding school in Connecticut. And then since I couldn't get into Georgetown, I went to uh, George Washington University. Um, and when I was in college, I used to read a ton of news. I was interested in of the media, and I would send typo emails to reporters, uh, kind of correcting small things or bigger things. And I sent thousands of these over a couple of years, and uh, I would always be gracious to them. They wouldn't always be gracious back. <laughs> um, sometimes they were like, you know, don't you have a better hobby to do? <laughs> um, but it only took a few minutes out of my day, and I, I felt... It was kind of a fun thing to do. And Politico profiled me uh, for doing this uh, when I was a sophomore in college. And so that gave me a lot of 
connections and contacts in journalism. I got to meet a lot of reporters, and that set me up well for internships uh, throughout uh, high school and college. So, so you got um, enough coverage, enough uh, attention in Washington th- to the point where you got noticed by well-known journalist Mike Allen, right? So talk to us a little bit about um, that relationship. So I would read Playbook when Mike was writing it uh, and loved the product, thought it was very interesting, uh, and would uh, send typos emails to him sometimes and also <laughs> links of articles that I would write uh, at my various internships. He wouldn't always put them in. but uh, And then I met him a couple times, and he and uh, Jim Van you know, talked for several years about hiring me before they actually let me know about it. So I was like, when I was in my uh, time, my f- the two years after college when I didn't have a permanent journalism job, I was uh, kind of in my wilderness. But the, uh, I would have liked Mike and Jim to actually like, have reached out to me. <laughs> you know, you know in the, in those years that they were talking about doing it, they just never got around to it. Uh, but he gave me my start. I'm very grateful to him. And you know we worked together on Playbook uh, for... Uh, two and a half years, uh, the last uh, amount of time that he was at Politico, and uh, we co-wrote Playbook together. And so he taught me a lot about how to write a good product, how to uh, you know write stories uh, for Politico, since I do that about once a week. And uh, I'm still friends with him, still talk to him a lot. Um, and it's kind of funny that we now... Um, you know, work uh, in uh, don't we don't want to work together, but we do have uh, separate morning products that we uh, right. do head to head. But we feel very good about playbook, and so um, that you know that is how I first met Mike. So going into a little bit about how playbook actually works, because uh, I mean, I feel like a lot of people don't really think about this. Like they just kind of wake up in the morning, it's in their inbox, and they go about their day. It's always there, yeah. Before yeah. I get up, so, so <laughs> it doesn't write itself. <laughs> I wish it did some days. <laughs> right. So talk to us about how it works. You know, like you talked a little bit about how you got up at four a.m. this morning. Is that a normal thing? Is that how you guys normally wake up? So uh, my two colleagues and I, we all wake up at four a.m. every uh, weekday morning. Uh, we take a break on the weekends. We yeah. start working about you know between seven and eight a.m. Uh, but that must feel amazing to, yeah, to wake like, up around then. Uh, it's sleeping. And sometimes I've done the 24 hours thing where I would, uh, you know, back when I was, uh, had more energy in me, I would sometimes wake up at three to work on playbook on a Friday morning and then go out with my friends until 3am on Saturday. Ooh. So 24 hours. And I, I only do that a couple times. So Cause then you get a, Full four hours of sleep the yeah. next morning, right? <laughs> That's all you need. <laughs> uh, but we use a Google Doc um, at you know every day uh, for both the playbook and our power briefing, our afternoon edition, and uh, we basically write it in the Google Doc. Uh, we're all it's almost like you know eat what you kill. Basically, we're all gathering items, uh, both reported items, and we're doing a curating of uh, right. other journalists and other. Uh, you know, reported articles, and we send it off to our editor about 5.30, and we get it out the door by 6 to 6.30. And so uh, that's how the process you know, works. It's an imperfect process, but it it is kind of a miracle every day when, you know, we start with basically nothing in the Google Doc, uh, and then two and a half hours later, it's in lots of people's inboxes. And, like, the day before, are you kind of looking at stories and seeing, hey, I'm going to put this in playbook the next day? Or is it really just you wake up and you just kind of go through your Twitter feed? Like, 
We get a ton of uh, pitches from Flax and reporters and from tipsters and just people in politics and media in Washington uh, wanting to be in Playbook. And so it's a matter of sorting through our inbox and um, finding out what the best items are. Uh, and then we also look at you know, Politico, the top publications in the morning, Twitter, uh, you know, stuff we've sometimes sent to ourselves if I see an article the night before that I want to make sure we put in. Uh, but it's really about, uh, you know, not putting everything in because that would, uh, it's already, you know, very long as it is. And so the, but we feel it's comprehensive since this year, you know, I've been reading the news for, you know, many years and I've never, this year has been the most crazy in terms of news, both Trump and other news like hurricanes and, uh, Puerto Rico and floods. And so, uh, but it's basically create a newsletter that provides value for readers that they can take through the day and bring attention to, bring to their boss's attention to stories or flag things for clients or say to you know people they work with, I saw, you know, I heard this interesting thing. And sometimes they will like, you know, they don't just always say, oh, I read it in Playbook. They're like, you know, there was an interesting Breitbart party. Like that almost makes them feel like they're in the room. And so it's making people feel like uh, the insiders that they are or they want to be. That sounds a lot like the mission of a, a kind of podcast that yeah, I have right. in mind. Being uh, <laughs> flies on, uh, on the wall in rooms uh, where cool things happen, important things happen. So I'm glad we, we have that in common. We share thank, that mission. Thank, you know, imitation is the uh, sincerest <laughs> form flattery. I think, yeah, that that's what we're going for here. You're listening to the flagship geopolitics podcast, Fly on the Wall, and we'll be right back. This week's political fun fact is brought to you by statistics. <laughs> I just got that. Thank you. Uh, Statistically, the deadliest job in America is president of the United States. So of the 45 men who have held the post, four have been assassinated in office at a rate of roughly 9%, um, or about one in 10, killed on the job. Um, which I think is pretty obvious if you think about it, um, that president of the United States is a hard job in the first place. Um, but I don't think that people know that you have a 9% chance of dying. I mean, it's a rough job in the first place. Like you can see a president after eight years in office and they look like they've aged about 25 years. Um, but at least they made it through. Yes. So <laughs> that is always, always a plus. Um, but do you think like, some of that stress is in part like because they do know they have a 9% chance of dying? 100%. Like, do you think they walk around saying like, I have nine? Do you think they just wake up and be like, I have 9% chance of dying today? Is that how stats work? I don't think it's by day for the record. It's not by day? I did get a B minus in stats though. So I really couldn't tell you. <laughs> So you mentioned um, sources and tipsters and flax. So how how do you go about deciding which ones, I don't know if trust is the right word, but which ones are providing you information that you consistently want to put in playbook? Or which, how do you decide which tips you want to, to follow up on? Um, so it's, you kind of know a good item when you see it. And so this morning, uh, a source sent me, 
some, you know, the names of people who attended a Kuwaiti uh, ambassadorial event with Melania Trump. So there is a ton of White House officials and administration folks and power players like David Rubenstein there. And so, uh, you know, sources like that person, they are, we have a ton of these, those people that just send in quality items whenever they come across them because they want, they want to help us out and they want to get the news out there too. And so, but there's definitely people that uh, have sent in things that uh, once we check it out, before we put it in, we, every so often they're not accurate. And so that's why if it's, say, Kellyanne Conway at a, you know, at a casino in New Jersey, we asked Kellyanne just to run it by her and make sure that she was actually there instead of someone a lookalike. Uh, and, but it's not just those spotted items, it's the, you know, stuff that's happening inside the rooms of Congress. And so, for example, today we, uh, you know, had an item about how Gary Cohn spoke to lots of Republican Senate chiefs of staff, this Democrat from New York uh, talking to Republicans trying to win them over on tax reform. But uh, once I got an initial tip, uh, Ann and I, we asked a bunch of different folks about, you know, what he said, what the reception was like, you know, uh, we found out that he was post- he was not going to join the president on a trip to Asia that he was expected to uh, go on. And so it's not just the initial tip, it's uh, confirming it, it's making sure that it's important. Uh, and, but a lot of people, they want to contribute to their newsletter and they like seeing their name in it sometimes, often. Right. That's why they people sometimes send in their own birthdays. Yeah, I was gonna. Well, we we're, we're gonna get to that at some point too. Um, but a follow up point on that. Sometimes we'll see, um, like a little section playbook that says text from Top Hill Republican, and you'll like quote the text. How do you go about finding like those people that are comfortable with their content of their text being sent out, not necessarily not necessarily with their name, um, but are those just regular people that you're talking to? Or? It's a matter of building sources through your uh, journalism career. And so that means meeting lots of people, um, having lots of coffees, breakfasts, lunches, uh, and staying in touch with people and finding out what they're hearing, what they're doing, and uh, then asking them at the right amount, uh, right period of time, uh, hey, what's going on here? Or what have you heard? Or um, what, what hasn't been reported? What's a scoop that we should chase? And uh, oftentimes they will tell you, uh, and it's usually on background often because it's uh, it's sensitive enough that they don't want to be seen as as leakers, and so we can't use their name often. But uh, people are more candid if it's uh, on background instead of uh, you know they don't want you know they don't want to be fired. Uh, so most people don't. Right. So I think one of the most important things of Playbook is the order that you guys actually put stories in. Um, Because I know like some mornings I read Playbook every single line and some mornings, you know, I read the first couple of stories and then kind of go about my day if I'm going to be really busy. So how do you guys actually decide um, what goes at the very top of Playbook and, you know, what kind of ends up towards the bottom? So it's often uh, we want to keep good items throughout, you know, very good items throughout the newsletter. And so it's not just putting the best stuff at the top. Uh, you know, things that are lead items are often exclusive to us, uh, very new things that just broke, uh, something we provide value in. So we're not going to just say, here's the top New York Times story of the day at, as the lead item. That would not be serving our readers well. And so, um, and it's things that surprise readers. And so anything that would, that hits that threshold, then we know it's, 
it will be of value and interesting to our readers. And do you guys ever like disagree over that? I mean, you're working in a team of three. I would, you know, I know in my experiences working in teams of three, uh, I'm looking at this podcast team, uh, that sometimes, uh, you know, we disagree over what's at the top. So how do you guys like, how do you solve that? Do you just have a normal conversation? You know, I feel like that might be difficult to do over a Google doc. Uh, yeah, that's what we text for. And so, uh, we have lots of text message exchanges uh, between the three of us between four and six every morning. And so, uh, sometimes we think of the lead the day before, uh, and oftentimes it's, we kind of know what, uh, is a good lead item, but then it's a matter of like tweaking it. So sometimes I will see, you know, something that, uh, my colleague wrote and, uh, then I'll text Jake. I think maybe should we change this word or you know what about this? And then he'll do this. He'll ask questions of me about my items too. And so it's a matter of everyone. We're all three of us are on the same team, uh, and we're all kind of looking behind, you know, after our backs to make sure that uh, everyone is uh, you know accurate in how they're. We're almost we're we're almost our own editors. We have an editor too, but when you have a team of three people, then you're looking out for one another and finding things that make uh, items better uh, or less wordy or adding more detail. And so that's just how the process works. And a little bit in detail about that, how does your audience factor into that? I mean, I feel like you guys have a very specific audience, a wide audience, but a very specific one. So how do you guys know what to put in and what not to put in to best serve your audience? So it's... uh, when, say, tax reform is at the top of the agenda, then there's a lot of people in both the media, K Street, Congress, the White House, and the administration that are our core base of readers that want to know what's actually going on. And so providing them value beyond what is already been written about or what is the uh, common, uh, you know, the uh, conventional wisdom uh, that's how we bring value to our readers. And so, uh, and because they, everyone has a stake in what, everyone pays taxes and, and every company has a huge, uh, you know, interest in making sure that they know the most relevant information uh, on this. And so, uh, and Playbook is not like morning tax, but so we have to cover everything mm-hmm. or a lot of different topics. And so, uh, and we kind of have the, um, the more hard news at the top two sections, and then we have kind of what we call the page six element uh, at the in the bottom section called playbookers, which are you know weekend weddings, engagements of political and media mm-hmm. types, um, you know kids being born, birthdays, you know who was spotted at what party last night, and that is provides a little levity to you know keeping the community engaged. And for people just to know what is happening around town, since you know DC is not Brussels, there's it's kind of there's lots of parties always going on, and so to capture an element of what's happening after hours, that's when a lot of people meet there, you know, uh, in terms of networking, and they find out what's going on, and it's almost like a status thing if you're invited to one party and not another, then it's uh, you might feel good or bad about yourself that day. You're listening to Fly on the Wall. We'll be right back.
Our Politico's As Real People segment this week comes from Congressman Ro Khanna, and it's in his tweet. It says, one of the joys of being a new father is learning new things every day. Today, I learned what a wabunub is. How many folks know what that is? Clearly, I don't. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm going to assume it's a baby toy. Uh, so shout out and congratulations to Ro Khanna uh, and his new expanded family. Wabunub? So actually... Wabunub? Uh, Wabunub. Oh, I got it. Wabunub. It's so up. Actually, in the tweet uh, comments, you will see that he said Oh, he it's, responded. I, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm going to let know. you say it. Uh, he said it's a pacifier attached to a small stuffed animal. Aww. Oh, there's pictures too. Oh, it's adorable. Yep. There you go. That is pretty cute. You learn something new every day. So sort of on that related note, um, but I think what strikes us, and I think a lot of readers of Playbook, is the voice, because it's a very specific voice, and it's talking to, as Christian said, um, a very specific audience. And we know that the, the Playbook voice used to be the voice of Mike Allen, right? It was for, for years. Uh, so tell us about when you and Anna and Jake sort of took over Playbook. Um, how did you maintain sort of that mission and, and sort of elements of that voice, but also sort of creating your own? So that was, uh, you know, frankly, uh, a big question that, you know, everyone had read Mike and then Mike and me um, for the nine years or so that he did the newsletter. And so people were you know, wondering, like, are, you know, what's Playbook going to be like after Mike leaves? And so uh, we updated the product in a lot of different ways. Uh, we introduced an afternoon edition, a podcast. We're doing more events uh, around the country, uh, Playbook University, Playbook Exchange. We've done that in Austin, uh, Denver, San Francisco. Uh, and But in terms of the voice, it's basically, uh, it's not an article, it's a reported column. And so, uh, you know, so we're not going to, it used to be that uh, the White House would tell uh, Mike, uh, and then Mike and me, like what the message was that they were going to drive today. And then president would follow the message. With the Trump administration, they almost don't even try that anymore because they know that what the president tweets in the morning, uh, the next day, if they send it the night before, that will totally set the agenda for the day. And so uh, it's of little use to our readers if we just ask the White House every day, so what's, the, uh, what's your message for tomorrow? Uh, given that it will just be... Uh, totally diluted and ignored uh, the next day in the media. And so, uh, you know, that was part of the voice. And it's, and it's been, a, and we've kind of kept a lot of the different aspects of playbook since we knew that if it's not, you know, broke, uh, we shouldn't, like, you know, break it. And so uh, that includes, you know, the fun headers, uh, you know, the kind of the way of we were, you know, we're doing it. We don't use embedded links. We, have the link after the item uh, because people like to click on them. And so it's kind of retaining the look and feel of Playbook, but also making it come into the 21st century. And on that note as well, um, it's, I think some of the most interesting parts of Playbook, and I know the parts I personally like the most, are when you guys are specifically writing things out, when you guys are talking. So how do you guys know when to 
I guess, analyze when to put your own voice in and when to stay out. So we're not going to annotate every item in playbook that we have. And so um, if we include like an article on like drones, we're not going to say, you know, these drones are so cool. No, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I can't wait to fly one of these things. (laughs) Uh, But when we do have expertise or when we have something to add, then we will uh, butt in. And so that's oftentimes a couple uh, different instances in every newsletter where we add kind of our take. And that's not our opinion. It's just uh, providing the reality check or uh, context to what's going on. And so I remember one item we had a few uh, weeks ago was when the president tweeted about uh, a you know what he called a highly respected author uh, and his you know, book on uh, praising Trump. Uh, and I pointed out, uh, well, we and my and Jake first tweeted, uh, this guy is uh, this is his first book, and so he's not <laughs> he's not like a well known author in terms of that. And then I added, I then we uh, caught on that um, he the, that author had been on Fox and Friends five minutes before the president tweeted, and so then that was kind of an instance of us pointing out. Hey, the president is watching television and then just you know putting his statements on Twitter about uh, you know what he's seen and so, but a lot of readers are not you know reading Twitter, watching Fox and Friends at the same time at eight a.m. They're doing work, they're going to you know they're dropping their kids off at school, uh, and so it's incumbent on us to you know point out uh, adding those types of contexts or fact checking either Trump or other members uh, of the administration or Congress in Washington saying, hey, uh, you may say this one way, but uh, we know that we've talked to other people involved and this is not how they see it. Uh, And you've hit on this point uh, a little bit before, but we sort of want to circle back on it now and talk about it a little bit more in depth. But why do you think it's so important to include the birthdays and the party appearances and the spotteds uh, in Playbook? Is it part of, you know... That you say it's in service to your your audience, but uh, is it is that a community building function? Like, what are you sort of going for with those uh, with those mentions? It's, you're right. It's all of those things that we're uh, aiming for. That and so, you know, some people uh, don't like the birthdays, but ninety five percent of people uh, like those uh, different uh, fun items, and it both serves as a uh, almost a way you've made it that you're in the birthday section or you're when you get hired at a job or get a promotion, uh, you're mentioned, uh, and it kind of validates your social economic status, uh, in Washington or New York. Uh, and it also is a utility to readers. And so if we put an item about this new person is a chief of staff to a Senator, then if you are a lobbyist in town or if you're a journalist and you want to, uh, you know, work with that office, then you know who to go to, and you know, uh, and if you knew that person from a pre- previous job, then you can congratulate them, and then keep that relationship going. So it's kind of a, a public service announcement with that, and it's, um, you know, putting in those life, uh, you know, marks in terms of weddings or engagements or new kids. That is a way to, uh, you know, keep our readers engaged, but also to. Uh, you know, there's no other platform in Washington that uh, serves that. And so uh, maybe other newspapers used to and maybe still do wedding announcements, but 
most people are not reading print newspapers anymore, and so but they are reading playbook and they're reading their uh, email, and so uh, that is uh, that's why we do it, and so it's it it you know that serves the function of playbook because it's not just a newsletter; it's a community that we that Mike built and that we are keeping uh, together and building onto, and you know including people from the new Trump. Administration. I remember we a few uh, week or two ago we put in, you know, who was spotted at a White House press aide's birthday party, and so uh, we're not going to put in every twenty-five uh, year old's birthday party. But if they work in the White House or if they're a top staffer on Capitol Hill, then uh, we will give them a, a fair shake. And when you guys actually do, you know, just the list of birthdays in general, how do you guys manage that? I would assume you guys get a ton of emails in your inbox every morning saying, "Hey, can I?" Can I get my birthday in playbook? So how do you guys both manage just that large amount of emails and who actually gets in? You guys are happy to send your friends birthdays. <laughs> I was going to say, this is partly a selfish question. <laughs> see if we could get our it's birthdays Daniel at Politico.com. If anyone uh, listening has any birthday tips or other you know, exclusive scoops that they want to send us. Uh, so it's actually a matter of uh, we look at, uh, or I look at the last year's playbook for the next day and then uh, grab the birthdays from that uh, document uh, and then update people's job titles, you know, trim when we need to uh, and uh, looking at my Facebook uh, feed in terms of my friends who are in the uh, political and media uh, industry, uh, looking at, you know, the list of Politico employee birthdays uh, and then we get going through my email and seeing uh, who sent in birthdays and then adding them in or updating uh, hat tips because people like to have their friends know that they sent it in. <laughs> and so if you're like, you know, if you're a goody two shoes person, then you will send in your boss's, boss's birthday and it will say, you know, hat tip John Smith. <laughs> and, uh, maybe you raise. Yeah, finally. <laughs> uh, and just sort of one question to wrap up this section. How do you balance sort of those, not necessarily posing functions, but, you know, you have a very hard hitting journalism part of playbook and uh, very, serving a very critical news and information um, dispersion function, uh, but also with this more fun, a little more gossipy, a little bit more community building part of playbook. How, do you ever find it's difficult balancing those two? Um, you know, I think in my inbox, that if anyone looked at my inbox, it would be a you know mishmash of birthdays, you know, press releases, articles, links, my inquiries to uh, people around town. And so it's kind of crowded in there. Um, but I think it serves our readers well uh, because people like the hard news so that they know what's going on and they, that can, uh, they can use in their jobs and just to be informed about this amazing era we are living in Washington. We're never going to experience another first year of the Trump administration uh, unless you want to wait for you know Baron Trump to run for president, <laughs> uh, or you know uh, Ivanka, you know President Ivanka, but the uh, and then you know having some fun items dispersed through or in the during in the bottom of the of playbook because uh, you know this the era of news right now is it's pretty serious. We're you know, there's talk of war with North Korea, ISIS, you know hundreds of people dying from hurricanes. Uh, and so, you know, I know myself that we need a little levity sometimes. And so and people's lives still go on. They 
people still get married. They still celebrate their birthdays, even in uh, dark, the darkest of times. And so this is both, this is the most amazing time to be a journalist in Washington uh, because there's so much to cover. There's, I get multiple tips a day that I follow up on uh, or flag to my colleagues. And so if you're a journalist and not doing good work uh, during this time in Washington, then like, why are you in journalism? And so um, that's how I see it. Great. Okay, so we're going to segue into our hot take section, which is where we have a student come on our podcast um, and we ask them a question uh, and then you can respond with either the question or the response to um, the student. Um, So we're going to play the hot take from Kate Rose. And the question is, in the service of educating the electorate, are journalists more obligated to put out small bits of news more often or put out longer form stories less often? I think that it's really important to do a lot of short little pieces because the news is moving so quickly right now that if you aren't moving with it, you miss a piece. And therefore, constituents are really not as well informed as they could be because you're focusing on doing this long piece and missing the news while it's current. So I think you have to do both. There's a lot of, in this 24-7 news environment, uh, you can pop things pretty quickly that... Uh, both have you know, short-term implications, but also they can lead to long-term uh, consequences for the Trump administration or for Congress or for whoever you're reporting on. And so if you break one little thing uh, one day, maybe in a couple months, you know, Robert Mueller is investigating uh, or asking, uh, his investigators are asking questions of Wright's previous or Sean Spicer about uh, what you broke early on. And so I remember one story I broke uh, with my colleagues about how uh, they were pressuring Paul Manafort's uh, former son-in-law uh, for information. They were trying to get him to cooperate, to flip on Paul because of Paul's financial uh, you know, allegations against him. And so they wanted to use him to uh, you know, go to Paul and then try to see if Paul has any incriminating evidence on the president. And so uh, that was one little story that we did, but it, you know, it's part of this whole chain of stories that people are doing about the Russia investigation. And so there's always new elements of what is happening on, on the congressional committee side, you know, who is Mueller is talking to, how the White House is responding to, I remember Ken Vogel had that great story when he was just sitting at BLT and overheard yeah. Ty Cobb. Uh, one story I would add to that is when uh, a couple of weeks ago I was at a kosher restaurant with uh, a friend of mine, um, and I got there early and I see, um, you know, a guy that I think looks like Michael Flynn, like <laughs> a couple of tables away, and so I take out my phone and uh, you know try to you know subtly take a photo of him, and then he before I could actually hit like you know. Uh, take the photo uh, he comes up to me and says uh, do you mind not taking a photo of me and I say are, well are you Michael Flynn and he's like yep <laughs> um, got him <laughs> and so I uh, didn't uh, take a picture but I after he finished his dinner I did you know introduce myself and say uh, it's nice to meet you and you know by the way what's uh, how are you feeling these days with everything going on he said my mood is good very good and so we kind of had that as the first 
uh, item and it, that's like a great lead item in playbook <laughs> and so it's something that most people were not at the kosher restaurant it was like 20 people uh and it was just pretty surprising i didn't realize that michael flynn was the most observant jew yeah <laughs> <laughs> great uh so now we have another favorite segment and it's our final segment um before we wrap up and it's called lightning round so we have three quick questions for you that we'll we'll throw at you lightning speed and just give the first thing that comes to mind quick response uh, so the first is, what is your favorite segment of Playbook? Regular, recurring segment. We call it the juice. It's uh, exclusive items, both fun and hard news, uh, and it's often scoops in them. And that gets the red font, right? Yeah, and that's it's highlighted in the bottom of the uh, driving the day at the top, and so that gives something to highlight that. Love it. Um, so on average, how many hours of sleep do you get? Uh Basically, five to six hours. That's not, nine that's not terrible. Three. Uh, and how many cups of coffee do you drink to sustain yourself in 24 hours? I don't drink any coffee. And really? I don't use an alarm clock. Uh, and so I don't like to use artificial stimulants. But that does sometimes get me in trouble because I remember I took uh, a then-girlfriend a couple years ago to see Hamilton. Uh, so I bought really you know, expensive <laughs> tickets in New York. Uh, and I fell asleep the entire time. I understand so, that though. The theater's dark, you know. You're but it was seven hundred. That's a seven hundred dollar nap. That's a pretty expensive. <laughs> nap. And uh, not the best. When thing. I would, you know, I snored a couple times. She was like, you know, <laughs> elbowing me to like shut up. So oh, no. I'll never forget that. She enjoyed the play though. That's what matters. Yes. <laughs> Worthy investment. Uh, and then finally, what is the favorite event that you've been to in your capacity as a Politico reporter or as part of Playbook? Probably attending the conventions last year uh, and also the uh, one of the presidential debates in Vegas where you just got to run into I got to run into people like Bill Clinton at hotels and I stayed at the Trump Hotel actually wow. <laughs> in Vegas uh, for a couple of days uh, and you know I would just see people like Hope Hicks and Stephen Miller and Steve Bannon in the hallway and uh, you know in the, in the lobby and would take pictures of uh, them to put in playbook, which got thousands of, of uh, clicks. <laughs> That's just yeah, a great time to be starstruck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, great, uh, Daniel. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Uh, I think students are going to learn a lot about how playbook works, and you know, kind of your life story. And I think it's a really fascinating one. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I think anyone who's uh, who's looking for a career in journalism can uh, look to you as someone who uh, got to start young and is, is flying high. So and Feel free to subscribe at politico.com slash playbook. <laughs> yeah, oh, we do. No worries. <laughs> and all of our listeners should as well. As we said, we share the same mission. So Thank you, guys. Thanks so much for being on. You're listening to Fly in the Wall. We'll be right back. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of Fly on the Wall. We were really excited to have Daniel Littman of Politico's Playbook on for a really fascinating conversation about, you know, not only how he creates Playbook, but I think the more interesting thing is what is the product of Playbook for? And I think the fact that um, he talked a lot about what is newsworthy, what is not newsworthy, um, and how they decide that and, you know, what their audience really is, I thought was a really fascinating conversation and really helpful for people who just read the news in general. I think my biggest takeaway was just how similar 
our mission with the podcast and uh, his mission with Playbook really is. I, we both seek to provide that, you know, inside the room sort of feel and make people feel like they're a part of politics and that they understand politics and that they can engage in politics successfully. So uh, I think that was my my biggest uh, um, light bulb moment there in talking to Daniel. Yeah. And I mean, hey, he got his start. He got noticed when he was uh, at GW writing uh, comments to the editor. So you never know. You never know. You so, never know. All starts here in, at school. If you're really interested in journalism, you know, go with his path and start sending emails to reporters <laughs> about your edits. Keep your fingers crossed. But in the meantime, some things you should do right now, some actionables for you, is subscribe to Playbook, but also subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram, uh, Snapchat, Twitter, uh, Facebook, all the big uh, social media networks. What's our handle, Aaron? Oh, it's at Fly in the Wall Pod. Thanks for reminding me. And if you want to even send us an email, unfortunately, our email isn't as convenient as those uh, of the playbook authors. I think it's just like Daniel at Politico.com. Yeah, we're not that like cool, that. guys. We're not that cool. We are yet to type a few more letters. It's flyonthewallpodcast at gmail.com. So if you're interested in getting in touch with us, uh, we would love to chat with you. Yeah, send us your feedback. All people. Yeah, feedback is great. Um, and all other questions, all other inquiries. We, we love all people. Tell us anything. Just say hi. You know, or just say fun. hi. If you pass us in the, the, the campus too, just wave. Great. Uh, Thank you guys so much for joining us for this week's episode of Fly on the Wall. Uh, We have some really cool episodes coming up throughout the semester. We also have some great episodes that we've done so far. Uh, So if you're listening and you really like this episode, come check out some of our other episodes. Uh, Aaron said we're on iTunes, we're on SoundCloud, we're on everything. Uh, So definitely check us out. Uh, We are going to be doing this all year. Have Uh, a great week, guys. We'll see you next Sunday. Happy birthday to you. Why are you telling him to check his text? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Justin. Happy birthday to you. Are you one? Are you two? Are you three? I don't think we have 21 seconds Oh, my God. We're going all the way up to 21. (laughs) Happy 21st birthday, Justin McCartney. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Wonderful managing director and uh, integral friend of the pod. Happy to spend it with you two here on the pod. If you guys are listening right now, uh, text Justin, tweet Justin, let him know uh, that it is his birthday, and to tell him happy birthday. I appreciate it.